and worship uh, corporately and as the family of God. There is something uh, that we as believers uh, should experience in an experiential way uh, as we gather together and praise our God and Savior. Uh, my name is Ted Thompson, and I am a recent member here at Kettle Falls Community. Uh, and we have been attending with my family, April and Abigail and Becky there, um, since uh, Mother's Day of last year. Uh, so we're recent uh, transitioners over to the East Coast from the West Coast. We've been here for two years um, after trying, uh, I hate the word trying, but attending several different churches. We finally landed in Kettle Falls Community Church. Um, and one of the reasons for landing here uh, was the, uh, the teaching of the word through Pastor Tony, who obviously is not here today. And we, we miss Tony and Kathy, and we just uh, thank them for supporting our church and celebrate with them 40 years of marriage. And uh, just hope that they are able to be with us via live stream. And, and we th thank you, Bryce, for doing that for us this morning. And... But one of the reasons we landed at this church was uh, because I believe that God has called me to proclaim his word. However he sees fit to do that, that's up to him. Um, but previously, where we came from on the coast, um, I had gone from working for a family business since as young as I could start working until my uh, late 30s and then, or late 20s, sorry. Uh, <laughs> To, uh, I, I went to work for our church that we'd been a part of that, uh, since I was about eight years old. And I, I worked for the church for five years. And in that last year of, of being with the church, I was actually able to uh, pastor and lead a church that we had. I call it a, it was a sister church. It was just a smaller church in the foothills remotely distanced from where we were at. Um, and so I had the privilege of teaching the word of God for a year. Uh, and it uh, grew me a lot, stretched me a lot, uh, but ultimately, in God's sovereignty, it led to us uh, leaving that vocation, that area of our life, and choosing to move and relocate, and that's why we're here today. And uh, so I get the honor of teaching today on Father's Day, and I just think that Father's Day is a wonderful day to celebrate uh, our fathers, but I also understand that uh, not everyone had the privilege of being raised by a father that they can look to as an example. Um, some, some of us, our deepest injuries come from our fathers uh, because of that importance of that role that they play in our life. And so as much as it's a celebration, I also want to acknowledge that there may be some of you here that don't look fondly on that day. So something that I would hope we can come to as a conclusion of a church and um, individuals is that ultimately... Uh, all that we are seeking uh, in the role of father while we're on this earth is fulfilled in our father God. And not just fulfilled in the extent that we think it should be, but it's, it's fulfilled way beyond. It's, it's fulfilled to an extent that we don't even uh, comprehend. Uh, I'm starting the timer on my phone because I was known for preaching long at our previous church. So I'm going to honor um, you guys. I do have one announcement. I just, there's something we were missing in our worship team that, this morning, and that was some drum playing. And, uh, and so that would be uh, Alan Adam, and they just had a new baby. Uh, Thursday night, 9.35, I got a text uh, from a uh, Alan, and um, seven pounds, 13 ounce, baby girl. 
healthy, uh, Janelle is doing good, and so we just want to celebrate with them as he is, once again, a father of a new child. And so, how appropriate, yes. Uh, and so far he says she is a content little one, and she is beautiful. So, um, I was going to just say that maybe uh, if anyone feels led to make meals or anything for that, like, like that for them, um, Marianne, can I kind of direct people to you in the back as maybe the liaison? Oh, Allison, perfect. Yep, so just uh, connect with Allison if that's something that God leads you to do. Um, we all know that there's a lot going on in this time, and they have three other kids, right? Yeah, so um, they have a busy home. So uh, we are going to be in Romans 8, uh, verses 12 through 17 today, so if you have the, the, your Bible with you, I would direct you to go to that. And the central theme, there's you know, more than one, but it's heirs with Christ, but there's a, the reason we are heirs of, with Christ and heirs of God is because of the process that we can look to, the biblical doctrinal teaching of, called sonship. If you were to look it up theologically, you would call it sonship, um, and the basis for it is the adoption into the family of God. And so you can see how that's the reason I pick that section of scripture to teach is because it is in that that we find um, God is our Father. So I'm going to read through that scripture, and then uh, we'll come before the Lord in prayer. Uh, so Romans 8, uh, 12, starting at 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let us come before God in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you uh, right now this morning, just having, as, as believers, having the ability to come before you and call you Father. Uh, it is an honor to be able to do so, and that is through Christ and through his blood shed on the cross that we are able to come before you as your children. And we ask as we look at this section of your scripture and your word uh, that you would uh, soften our hearts to receive uh, your truth, uh, maybe to have something that we already know confirmed, to have something we don't know um, brought to a, a newness in our mind and the renewal of our mind, that our mind would be transformed and conformed, as it says in Romans 12, to, uh, to know you and to understand the word. Uh, we understand, uh, I hope we understand all that we will not understand the word of God without the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that uh, your presence here would be a, a tangible experience to us as, as your word is taught, that, that our hearts would be changed and that we would be able to leave this place with a greater depth and understanding of uh, our relationship with you, God, through Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, uh, one of the first things that Paul does when he opens this scripture is he addresses as brothers. And I think most of us would know that when it says brothers or sons, it's, it's referring to brothers, you know, sisters, sons, daughters. It's the uh, position we hold, regardless of whether we're male or female, in the family of God. And Paul uses the term brothers he specifically uses it as a term that refers to fellow believers. And because of that, I've learned in my life to try hard to, to follow suit with that as well. And there may be some of you here uh, who I've called brother. I wouldn't call a sister brother, but I would call a brother a brother. Whereas in my, do, my dealings with the world, I try to be actually pretty mindful of not calling a non-believer a brother uh, because it words are important, and uh, how we use them is significant, and Paul found it so. And so, the word, the scripture here, he is addressing to believers. Uh, I believe the whole word of God is addressed to believers, and that that is why we have it, why it has made it through the test of time, it is still with us. It is for the edification of the church. And hopefully we'll be able to see that through as we work through this scripture, how this scripture is for the, your edification and for uh, God's glory. Now, he continues, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And it's interesting, the word debtors is one who is obligated. So we are not obligated in our new position in Christ to obey the flesh, but we are obligated to obey the Spirit. And it, we do need to understand that we once were only in debt to the flesh, and we would only live in sin, we would only sin, we could not live in a way that pleased God. Before salvation, before new life, there was no way to please God. There was no means because everything we would do is only sin. Uh, Neil T. Anderson in his book, Victory Over Darkness, is where I learned that truth, that when, before Christ, before redemption, all of our behaviors were sin. And you know how in, in the Bible it says that all of your good works are like filthy rags. That's because that's, that's the value that they hold before God is their filthy rags. But yet, once we are born again, our good deeds, they're not filthy rags, but they also are not our righteousness, are they not? Our righteousness is found in Christ, and that is a truth that we as believers must come to grips with because our humanity is constantly driving us to seek ways that we could please God. But the Word of God says the only way we'll please God is by standing in Christ's righteousness by believing in Christ for who he is and who he said he was. And so we are no longer debtors to the flesh, um, but we are to live according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think that one of the ways that I have, that's helped me is living according to the Holy Spirit is like a yield sign. At our previous church, we had this sign in the parking lot, and it said yield to the Holy Spirit, but it was placed at a place where people like to come up to each other. Um, 
But in our lives, we come up to junctures and junctions where we have choices to make. Uh, we all face it. It's just commonality between all of us. And yet, so we have this opportunity. Do we yield to the guiding and the leading of the Holy Spirit and listen? Or do we just push forward and listen to our flesh? There really is, in almost all decisions, we can say in all moral decisions, there is a right and a wrong. It's, it's really that clear. We yield to the flesh or we yield to the spirit. And I guess that kind of goes back to the first thing I was saying is as a non-believer, you just, there's no yielding to the spirit. The spirit's not active in the life of a non-believer. I, I think we can agree to that. And so we as believers, we have these contradict, converging um, thoughts and feelings and leadings of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we have choices to make. And we know that in the flesh, we all choose wrong and we all sin. Uh, but by the grace of God, we are forgiven. And we, we learn and we move forward. And hopefully we are on a continual progressive journey in, in our sanctification. And I really like in this section of Scripture, as I've studied it, that as we move on in verses 13 and 14, the words, by the Spirit and all who are led by the Spirit is very key and is very helpful and encouraging for us. And it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And so it's very easy to see in that section that the work being done of our leading, of our guiding, and of our, we could call, holy activity is by the Spirit. It's not by our own doing. It's not by our um, talking ourselves into it. It's by a leading of the Holy Spirit. And in my understanding of uh, theology and study of the Word, something that's really changed in my life over the last several years is I, the way I, according to the way I was raised versus how I've come to understand the Word after studying it for myself, and listening to good teaching and reading, you know, good books and good commentaries, is that because everything good that either comes out of me or even any of the good thoughts I have towards God and towards holiness and towards obedience to God, those are because of the Holy Spirit, then ultimately, where do I give credit? To God. God in the form of the Holy Spirit in me. It's not in me to do good. The only thing that's in me and in each one of you, in your flesh, is an inkling towards sin. Even if that good behavior that comes out of you comes from you, it's still sin because it's self-righteousness. And, and that is a propensity we as humans have. We, if, if all other religions, other than Christianity, and Tony has said this as well, are works-based. You will not be saved in another religion from yourself and towards something better, some type of eternity or some type of next life that's better. You will not receive that with, apart from your own works. Christianity is completely different. It's the simple fact of we don't do, it's been done. And we believe that it's been done. And the life of Christ lived on earth while he was alive from birth till death, he lived perfectly and obediently to God the Father. And it's in his perfection 
that his sacrifice paid the price. His sacrifice was the significant sacrifice. It was that he was the perfect spotless lamb of God who could take away the sins of the world and all those who would believe in him. And so when we place our faith in that, we are saved. And as Christians, we can still struggle with thinking that our works, our good behavior, has some significance in our salvation. And I believe for myself and for those I've known that we have a constant battle with that thought process. And I think that that's okay. I think the battle with that thought process is the good thing. When we don't battle with that mentality, we've embraced it. So, we give glory to the Holy Spirit for all that is good and all that comes out of us. Um, 1 John 3.9, and you can flip there or I'm just going to read it quickly, really encourages that. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And that's talking about that practice of sin. That's, that's, that, that's why we don't practice. You know, like they say a, an attorney, right, practices law. It's a doctor. Why does it, you know, a doctor is not, you think they're not supposed to be practicing, but they practice their profession, sadly on us. And we don't want, but we, so we, we think of that word differently, practice. It's not like I go practice, you know, softball or whatever. No, we practice, we apply uh, the truths we know. So a Christian practices living led by the Holy Spirit, not living in sin. It, 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 it can be very sensitive ground to walk on this, this, as Christians, this journey of sinning, being saved, desiring Christ, desiring righteousness, but we still sin. Um, if we had all day, we could just flip to Romans 7 and then we could sit and go through that. But it's that, it's that body of death that we have strapped onto us, that old man, that flesh, that doesn't leave us while here on earth, um, that we struggle with. And uh, again, I would just, I would like to say it's the struggle that should be affirmation for us. Sometimes we desire perfection so much, we think that as the Holy Spirit has come into us, that we're just going to be immediately like perfected and we should be able to do everything right and some some scriptures when we read them they actually kind of make us think that way but that's why scripture teaches scripture not one verse directs our whole entire life there should i mean sure you can have a life verse if so be it you want it but i think the bible should direct your life not one verse and so as we look to our life and we should be self-evaluating our intentions our desires and our behaviors uh, we, we do need to realize that it is, it is the Holy Spirit directing us and it is that desire for righteousness that should confirm our salvation and, and affirm our salvation. And so as sons of God, the Holy Spirit is actively leading us in his ways. Um, and this is what we call sanctification. It's one of our Christianese words, right? Sanctification. You say sanctification outside of the church and you're probably not going to have many people that know what you're talking about. Um, it's, it's, this is sanctification being worked out in our lives. Uh, so as I said earlier about how we, we desire to be like perfected, 
we must realize that sanctification is a process. It is we are saved, we are sanctified, set apart, we are being sanctified throughout our life, and ultimately upon death, we will be sanctified and glorified with Christ. And so there is, sanctification can be looked at as a three-phase um, process, and it is in our walk on earth that we are experiencing the sanctification process of desiring holiness and righteousness as well as struggling with sin. Uh, that, that is just the conflict we have while on this earth. And so moving, moving on to verse 15. It says in verse 15 that, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, we have received the spirit of adoption. The, the, it's something to look at there in verse 15 is where it says the word spirit of adoption. Uh, it is a capital S, and that could actually, from my studies, that could actually vary according to your translation of your scripture. And if you're familiar with it, when the word spirit in the word of God is not capitalized, it's referring to the human spirit. When it's capitalized, it's referring to the spirit of God. And uh, John MacArthur, in one of his teachings that I listened to over the last couple weeks on this section of Scripture, says that we call him the Holy Spirit, but he very well could be called the Spirit of Adoption because that is part of the work that he does, such an uh, important work he does in our life, is confirming our salvation by hearing his voice, by um, understanding the word, by feeling conviction. Uh, we, those things should affirm our salvation. Uh, in my life, oh, sorry, in my life, uh, be, based off of the way I was raised uh, to understand the word, I had a, I've had a, a long time struggle with affirmation of salvation. Uh, and I, in my teen years, it was uh, very hard um, for me, because I was born and raised in a Christian home, but yet I was, I was told that, you know, if you sin, and then you, you know, you go out and something happens and you die and you haven't seek, been asked for forgiveness, you know, you're going to go to hell. And, and that was a very, um, very, it's a very, it's misteaching the word of God, for sure. Um, I think, you know, my uh, parents were trying to scare me straight type of thing, you know. And in some days it worked great, and other days it made me feel like, what was the point of living because I'm just a sinner going on my way to hell. So what's the point of keeping doing this? And, and that's a very hopeless feeling. And, and one of the things that um, the Holy Spirit's wor work in us is a continual reassurance of our hope, uh, not a destruction of our hope. And the, the more I've understood, uh, studied the word, and um, really poured over scripture, and, and again, that we, we need to be studying the word heavily on our own, but we also need to be listening to the preaching and teaching of God's word by trusted teachers of God's word. Um, and, and I call, I have certain preachers that I listen to on a regular basis. I would call them my spiritual mentors. Uh, I, I've, I met one of them one time at a conference for like a minute, and I would still consider him a mentor in my life because he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, expounds the word of God, and I listen to it, and that's a gift God has given him. 
And so I don't think that we should put this pressure on ourselves that we have to be able to do this all on our own. God has gifted the church with preachers and teachers. And, and there are some that I would call very trustworthy and some that I would tell people they should never allow into their ear holes. <laughs> and so um, I think that's where you seek out counsel from your spiritual leaders, um, who I would say in this church would be your elders and your pastor. Um, that you run, those, run who you're listening to, run who you're allowing to influence you um, through those, those men in the church and make sure that you actually are listening because other guys, you know, they'll tickle your ears, which me, the Bible says that. They'll, they'll make you feel good about what you're listening to, whereas they can actually be leading you down a path of destruction. So uh, just a little side note there. Um, try to stick to my notes here. Help keep me on time. It's interesting that when God uses the word uh, debtors we, we, in verse 12, um, it's one who is obligated, and then in verse 15, you did not receive a spirit of slavery, but there is actually some other scriptures that Paul talks about how his work in God is servant. He's a servant, and it's almost a form of, you could call it slavery, and we don't really have a very good perception at all of slavery. It's actually getting worse and worse, our perception of slavery um, in our current day and age. But, you know, biblical slavery could be very well, um, in in a sense it's different from how we look at it, Uh, you could willingly engage yourself into slavery um, because of your debts. You would actually put yourself in um, a position of slavery to someone because they would pay your debts off for you, and then you would you would willingly go into that position. And, and I think a great example for us nowadays is debt. Um, any debt is slavery. We are slave to the lender um, because we don't actually have freedom when we go into debt. So I think, it's, I think it's a little bit understandable for us to think, you know, when you go to the dealer and you buy yourself a car and you feel all good about yourself until the next month when that first payment comes. And then you're like, oh, Oh, yeah, reality check. I just drove a car for free. I really, really like it, but now I don't like it so much. And then you realize that, um, especially, you know, currently, you might actually owe on that car for the next 72 months, which which is quite amazing. It used to be 36 or 48 was a long loan. Now it's 72 months. Uh, You you, you feel like you have freedom, but you actually don't. You you are in bondage to that lender. Um, because when push comes to shove, if you don't pay for it, you get it taken away, and then you get your credit destroyed, and you're losing your freedoms and some rights and privileges. And, and so uh, that's a little bit more of a similar tone that we have in the scripture is um, the obligation. We are not obligated uh, to sin. Uh, we are not in debt to sin. But in a, in a really good, healthy sense, we are in debt to God for what he has done for us. We don't owe him in the sense of it paying anything off because Christ already paid the debt. But the joyful heart uh, wants to give back, right? We want to give back to God for what he's done for us. Uh, when our earthly father is, is loving and blessing and um, we see the benefits in our life because of what he does for us. Uh, the healthy response to that is love, honor, and respect. 
uh, it's a thankfulness, a gratitude, a desire to obey, even if it's not convenient for us. And that's how we honor him. And that's, sim- that's a very similar situation with God as our Father. And, and in that scripture, when it says, Abba, Father, and it says, cry, Abba, Father, I don't know about you, but I've had times in my life where I was so drained of my self and my self-abilities and anything where the only thing I could do was cry out, God, help me. You know, like, I can I remember laying in bed at nights uh, during my year of preaching where I was so, felt so inadequate. And, so, and I was, and I am. No one's adequate to preach the word of God. We just, by his grace, do it to the best we can. But I can just remember crying out to God, help me. You're the only one that's going to be able to help me because there's no one else I can go to that can give me what I need. I am depleted of everything within me, and I need this filling of the Holy Spirit. And as I think we, we tend to, when we get very drained or we have life pressures and stresses are coming upon us, and we feel very overwhelmed with life. And the word overwhelmed, uh, the way to look at the word overwhelmed is like when Peter... Uh, stepped out of the boat and he was sinking and the waves were overcoming him, that's the sense of overwhelming. It's a drowning. It's a, and I think we feel that in our life. I think we can go through times and seasons where we feel very overwhelmed and burdened by life. And to have that, when you're in that position, sometimes you just want to go to people around you. You want to go to your spouse. You want to go to your parents. You want to go to your best friend. You want to go to somebody and just like, help me in this time. But ultimately, I think that as believers, our, our place that we may even do that, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with that, but ultimately our final destination, and, and I would say as we mature in our walk with Christ, our, our, our first destination is to be to cry out to God to help me because I don't have what it takes right now. And I need you. And, and the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does be, is he, he, he is everything we need. When Jesus said he was going to send him to us, that it was better that he leave so that he sends the Holy Spirit to be in us and live in us in a new, in a way that wasn't experienced completely in the Old Testament, but was completely fulfilled through the filling of how he fills us in the New Testament scriptures and in our new life post-resurrection and, and crucifixion and resurrection, is that he is the counselor and the comforter. And it's actually, if your Bible translation is right, it says he's the consoler. Well, consoling is to come alongside and to be there with and to soothe your pain and to soothe your struggle and to soothe whatever it is you're going through, but to counsel you. Well, the counsel is the word of God. If you don't know the word, then what's going to come into your head? It's not going to magically come in off the scriptures into your head, mysteriously just appear inside your brain. No, it's, it's through the, the reading of the word of God, the study of the word of God, that when you seek God, it's the word of God that comes alive inside of you. And he brings it to light. If you study it, he will bring it to light. We are sanctified by the reading of the word of God. We are set apart and made holy. In that section of our sanctification on earth, it is the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us. 
And I think it's such an important thing to know. But we don't read the word to do a checklist. We read the word to be in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Some, sometimes, you may, if you have a good study Bible or you listen to someone preach, and they'll, they'll talk about this section where it says, Abba, Father, cry out, Abba, Father. They'll say it's, it's endearing, and it is endearing. It's, and they'll say it's similar to, like, Daddy. But I think that uh, we need to remember that there's a reverence there. Uh, our conversations with God cannot be, re- we cannot remove the reverence that must be there. Uh, in a past church um, instance that came up, there was a person that worked in youth ministry, and they opened up their prayer time by saying, it was like, hey, daddy, and then they went into their prayer. And it came up in our church leadership meeting of, was that appropriate or not? My answer was no, because of how it was done and the lack of reverence that was there. And it's, as much as we should have a familiarity with God because we are his children, when, when Jesus was asked how to pray, it was, my Father who art in heaven. So we're separating out our Father on earth from our Father in heaven. And then what's the next line? Hallowed it be your name. Hallowed, reverence, you know. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So we cannot lose when we come before God who we're talking to. And I believe that it's, we have these parallels as Christians that we are constantly trying to decipher which, which is which. We have this intimate relationship with God our Father. We have a God that's so holy we can't stand before him. But the, where do those, those line up? Everything lines up in Christ, ultimately. We'll just get to the point. Without Christ, we can't stand before God. But with Christ, we can, but he's still just as holy and reverent. And the beginning of, of knowledge is the fear of God. It's to, to have a proper, adequate fear and reverence for who he is. When you come before God, you're talking to God, the creator of all things, who can ultimately change everything. There's nothing outside of his power or grasp. And I think when we are on this earth that one of the best things we can ask God for in our struggles is peace. We are people that struggle with our emotions. We struggle with our feelings. And our thoughts get carried away and they lead us in bad directions. But peace with God it's, it's soothing. It calms us. And that's, that's, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's what God wants for us, is peace with him. He doesn't want us to be emotional basket cases. Christians should be the most calm, collected, rational thinking because of, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we know what's going on. It's not a surprise. Our world is in the turmoil it's in. It's supposed to be that way quoting my, one of my favorite preachers, John MacArthur, again, he said, it's, it's a rational parent or grandparent that's scared for the future of their children and grandchildren. Scared is in the sense of where is this going, <laughs> right? It's okay, but we should know that through the Word of God. 
in verse 15, one other quick point I wanted to make on that verse is where it says that we cry out, Abba, Father, as sons. It's an identity of God as our Father. Whereas very frequently, depending on where you get your teaching from, it's a lot of focus on our identity in Christ and who we are. Now that's not wrong in and of itself, but in a commentary I was reading it said that it's so important that the believer looks at God as their father rather than them as his child. Because when we look at God as our father, our focus is on God, not on ourself. I know that sounds like a little nuance, but it's so true. Our focus should be that God is our father, not we are his child. Primary, right? God is our father, we are his child. Not we are his child, he is our father. It's just something simple to think about. I think, again, we can become so self-focused that we lose sight of. We lose sight of God. We lose sight of Christ because of um, our self gets in the way. And verse 16, it says that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I'll just move on to 17. And if we, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit himself bears witness. Um, this this uh, method of adoption that we're focused on here, uh, that Paul is, you know, we go context, context, context in the Scripture. What is the context of, why is Paul talking about adoption? I, I believe adoption is only used uh, three, three, four times in the New Testament, and specifically only by Paul. And... Uh, I have three adopted siblings, but it's a very different form of adoption when we look at this. And in uh, Greek Roman times, adoption was more than not was a person that had possessions that did not have an heir or they did not want their heir to receive their inheritance based off of squandering their life or whatever it was. So the person with the inheritance, the man with the inheritance, the family with inheritance, would seek out someone to adopt. It was very often that that person, and hence the term slavery, why Paul is talking about slavery as well, that the person they sought out was actually in in a position of slavery within a household to someone else. So they were in debt to someone, proving to be an extremely uh, valid asset within that household. And so this person saw them and saw their value. And so they would go and pay off all their debts, essentially not buying them, but freeing them. So we see the analogy here with our scripture and our knowledge of the word. So freeing them from their debt, bringing them into their household, specifically to be an heir of whatever their fortune was. Now, I love the correlation. I love how Paul's using it. And I love how 
God has pulled us out of the debt we had to sin, has freed us and uh, liberated us from the bondage to sin, and has brought us into his family to give us an inheritance. But because this is an analogy, and it's Paul speaking to Greek Romans, Christians, who would understand exactly what he was talking about, there's one thing in there that when I first started studying this scripture, I wanted to put on it, but it's not there, is that is the, um, the, the doctrine of election and that God choosing. I firmly believe in election and God choosing and the way Ephesians says it before the foundations of the earth, that he, he knew us and he chose us and he chose us in Christ to be saved. But in this analogy... The adopter was choosing the adoptee based off of the value that he saw in them to use his inheritance for good. We weren't chosen because of anything in us. When we come to God, what do we bring him? We often say, uh, give your life to Christ, give your life to God. What's my life worth? Nothing. (laughs) I've got nothing to give God. What do I bring to him? I bring to him my sin. Step one of salvation is repentance. It's saying I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I've got this great burden of debt and I can't pay it. And no one can pay it for me but Christ. But Christ in his righteousness. But Christ, the life he lived on earth was perfect. I believe that Christ is the Son of God, and I place my faith and my trust in Him, and only a believer says that. that but that, that, is, that is obviously the gospel message, but only the Christian professes that. That says, I have nothing to give you, and I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve the eternal life that I have acquired. But that is what God has done when he brings us into his family. When he brings us into a position where in your, your spirit and the Holy Spirit align and say, Abba, Father. That is where we have that confirmation and affirmation that we are saved, that we are heirs of eternal life, that we get to inherit the eternal life that God has promised for all who will profess and believe in Jesus Christ as his son. And if that doesn't give us joy and hope, then really nothing will. Because there is no joy and hope to be found outside of Christ and outside of our relationship with Christ. And ultimately, that we will be glorified with him. One day, it will happen. And I would pray that as we go out this week, that whatever you're facing in your life, whatever, whatever challenges you're in, that you would realize that those challenges and those, those, those struggles, even your struggle with temptation, God is using to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ while you have this life on earth. And that even though we cannot suffer like Christ in the sense of 
how he suffered in the crucifixion, we can suffer rejection from the world. We can suffer the trials and struggles we have with temptation and with sin. It should be, life should be a struggle with us when we look around and we, we should want something so different that it's a struggle to see what's going on around us because we should want what the Bible speaks of. What we know one day will come when we are glorified and we are raised to new life and experience eternity in heaven with God. That should leave within us, that knowledge should leave within us a longing for that day which in and of itself is, can make this life somewhat of a struggle. <laughs> and so I just, I would, I would hope that we can be encouraged that this is temporary and eternity is forever. And, and that we would go out and be joyful in, in this week living this life that God has given us to live. So I'd like to close with prayer. And then um, I would like to sing the doxology together, so we'll do that. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that through uh, an imperfect person expounding your word imperfectly, that your truths would settle into the hearts of your people. And there would be some type of stirring inside of the heart and the soul to know more about what it means to be uh, your child, what it means to be able to talk to you as father, uh, and what it means to be an heir. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, seek you in your word, seek to know you uh, deeper, and that uh, we would trust that by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that that is possible, not in and of ourselves, but all through you and for your glory. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we ask your blessing over uh, this week, uh, over the Allen family, and that you continue to provide for them uh, in health and, and wellness and restoration, and uh, that you bring uh, Tony and Kathy back safely. Uh, we love you, Lord, and we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.